Several nations will contribute to a new coalition force to protect civilian ships in the Red Sea. Who are the partners and what will they bring to the force? Produced by Defense News and Military Times, this is the Early Bird Brief. Each morning, we bring you the defense and national security news of the day. In fact, I think what this shows is our convening power and how much American leadership matters on the world stage. And the Pentagon's replicator efforts seek to counter a rising China, but will it meet its goals? What does it all mean, though, for our defense and security? You'll find out. I'm your host, Simone Perez. Today is Wednesday, December 20th, 2023. First up, U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin announced the formation of a naval protection force for commercial ships in the Red Sea while in Israel this week. These attacks are reckless, dangerous, and they violate international law. And so we're taking action to uh, build an international coalition to address this threat. And I would remind you that this is not just a U.S. issue. Uh, This is an international problem, and it deserves an international uh, response. Defense News Naval Warfare reporter Megan Eckstein sits down with us for the latest updates. So, Megan, what are officials saying about this new operation, dubbed Operation Prosperity Guardian? U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin announced Operation Prosperity Guardian. Uh, He had been previewing that there would need to be a multinational solution to this international problem happening in the Red Sea. Uh, And today he outlined a little bit more um, what this operation is going to look like. Essentially, with the threat of Houthi missiles and drones in the Red Sea, it's preventing commercial ships from wanting to even enter the waters at all. Uh, Those that are in the waters need protection from naval ships that can see incoming threats and shoot it down if they're imminently about to hit a ship. So what Operation Prosperity Guardian is going to do, essentially we have a handful of NATO countries. We have the United Kingdom, we have France, Italy, a handful of other non-NATO countries as well who will be participating Uh, by using their ships and using their staff members to help coordinate this effort. Um, There's a a group already sort of working on this similar problem called Combined Maritime Forces, co-located with U.S. Fifth Fleet, uh, which is the Navy's um, contribution to U.S. Central Command. And so this organization already kind of exists. Uh, Combined Maritime Forces has um, a Combined Task Force 153, which focuses on the Red Sea, So it's a little bit um, unclear from the Defense Department yet how this is all going to come together, but it sounds like Operation Prosperity Guardian will be a mission that CTF-153 will help coordinate. Countries are beginning to announce what ships they'll have in the area. Um, The UK has a destroyer already near the Red Sea, um, and they'll participate. Uh, We have a few other countries with frigates in the area that can participate, as well as some nations that will be sending staff members to help with the headquarters, whether it's looking through surveillance data, that type of thing, finding missions for these ships to go on. In another important story, service members forced to live away from their families because of their military duties could see a major increase in what is called separation pay. Military Times Capitol Hill Bureau Chief Leo Shane III joins the episode to discuss the pay increase. So, Leo, first, could you explain what separation pay is for those that don't know? 
Yeah, this is uh, money that the Defense Department gives to troops who are separated from their families. I mean, these are folks who either might be out at sea, away from their permanent duty station, or on some sort of temporary assignment. And this money is meant to um, help offset the extra costs that are affiliated with that. You know, if you've got a one one spouse who's living over here, another one who's living over there, there's there's extra expenses. There might be you know different different grocery bills, different utility bills, all sorts of things that, that can just come up. So right now it's only two hundred fifty dollars a month, not a not a huge amount. But what they've included in this defense authorization bill is a boost all the way up to to four hundred dollars a month. That's a significant uh, amount for some families, and it's something that uh, you know a lot of a lot of families over the course of a few months. Are really going to see the difference there. And so how significant is that extra money? Yeah, look, when you're talking about junior enlisted service members, I mean, folks who only have a couple of years in the service are getting 2000 just over $2,000. Um, you know, if you've been in for three or four years, maybe you're getting $3,000 a month. So um, so an extra $150 a month is a, is a big deal. And that $400 can can go a long way. It can be the difference between, you know, not not worrying about where the next grocery bill is going to come and, and having enough to, to make it through the week. So lawmakers said, look, this is something that, that not only needs to be addressed right now, but needs to be looked at as we move ahead. Um, there's a, a military review of uh, a compensation, paying compensation issues that's going to be going on next year. Congress is looking at a whole host of military pay issues next year as part of its work for the next authorization bill. And they've singled this out as as one of the things they want to look at. Is this number right? Is this number really doing what they hope it does, which is just keep families from, from sweating out paycheck to paycheck? Or does this need to be adjusted even further or amended in some way? Also on your radar for today, the Pentagon is investing in an initiative to counter China known as Replicator. For more on what the initiative is and whether it will meet its goals, Defense News Pentagon reporter Noah Robertson joins the episode today. So Noah, first can you tell us more about what the Replicator initiative is? The Replicator initiative is really Kathleen Hicks, the Deputy Secretary of Defense's signature initiative in her time in office. The goal is to innovate and to innovate more quickly than the department usually does. In line with that, she set an ambitious goal for the department. Announcing the initiative in late August, she said that the Pentagon would would field thousands of what she calls attributable autonomous systems, but are really just drones, in the next 18 to 24 months. That obviously is much quicker than the department usually uses to field systems of that sort, really of any sort. And the idea behind the initiative is to help counter the mass capabilities, as they see it, that China has over the U.S., which, if you understand this in the context of a potential invasion of Taiwan, would mean more people, more weapons, and a much easier path getting those people and weapons into the Taiwan Strait. And what can you tell listeners about the wagers the Pentagon is making with this program? You know, the department's purchasing power, industry's capacity to build the drones, and that these are even the right tools to counter American adversaries. Is there an expectation, you know, that the program will overcome obstacles and succeed? I think these are all the right questions to ask, and in large part, the questions that Secretary Hicks raised in the speech when she announced the program in the first place. The wager essentially is that drones are the future of warfare, and not only that, but drones could be the future of fixing the U.S.'s problem as it sees in the Defense Department to countering China over Taiwan. According to U.S. intelligence that's been released, there is an assessment that China's leader, Xi Jinping, has told his military that he wants it to be able to invade Taiwan by 2027, though that's different from actually saying he wants it to invade it by that time. That leaves the U.S. with a certain amount of trouble. 
On one hand, it wants the ability to protect Taiwan from an invasion, but on the other hand, its traditional weapons systems undergoing modernization programs right now wouldn't be ready to field in sufficient quantities, according to most estimates or analysts, by the early 2030s, which leaves a gap of vulnerability if China wants to be ready by 2027. So for that reason, they've come up with the idea of replicator, that they can get systems that are cheaper, that can introduce lethality, and can move much faster and in a way that doesn't require to sustain them, because if they are lost in the battlefield, it doesn't matter as much as it would, say, if you were losing a ship. So for that reason, they've decided that Replicator will be a stopgap of sorts to help with its problem that it has in the short term with China. That being said, it will require a few wagers that you mentioned right there. The first of which is that it's going to be able to fund this in the near term. The money for Replicator is going to come at least in part from a reprogramming package. That's where they take money away from other programs and consolidate it with the authority given by Congress for a new program or a new start that it sees. That would be for Replicator. Senior defense official, along with sources from Congress, have told me that they're working on this right now. A secondary issue would be that drones are even the right capability that they need to field in the Indo-Pacific to help counter China. There's a lot of innovative work that's been going on in what's called the defense technology or defense tech space right now. Drones are, in large part, capabilities that are being proven out in the war in Ukraine. But Ukraine is very different from Taiwan in terms of the environment and what people call the tyranny of distance, which is the amount of space that a capability would have to travel to even be useful to defend the island. And the last capability is that the department will actually be able to get its partners in industry and venture capital to bet on it that this won't be like past initiatives that have aimed very high, but have failed to achieve meaningful procurement wins and their actual fielding of systems later on. These are things like the third offset, which was designed by former Deputy Secretary Bob Work, and Transformation, for instance, which was a Donald Rumsfeld, the former Secretary of Defense program in the early 2000s. But why does it seem that so many were left out of the loop that Replicator was coming? This has been one of the big concerns that companies and different venture capitalists, analysts, and people in Congress have told me while reporting the story. The message that they get from the Defense Department is that when they're aiming to try to counter China, they want to be as careful as possible about the messages they put out on what capabilities they may field. Or in simple terms, you don't want to flag exactly what they might want to counter. So for that reason, they've done as much as possible to try to be careful about the messaging they put out. That being said, when the announcement was released in late August, there were many in Congress and elsewhere in the Pentagon who were very confused about Replicator, having not heard about it before. That since then has been a process that the Deputy Secretary and the Defense Innovation Unit, which is also working on the effort, have tried to ameliorate and going out and reassuring its partners that not only do they want their help, but their help will be necessary to having it actually succeed. And what are some... What are the initiative's upcoming deadlines? The initiative was announced, like I said, in late August. So its deadlines to field systems, if you're measuring 18 to 24 months out of that, would be February to fall of 2025 to actually field the systems. And now here are some other stories that we're hearing chirps about. A California man was sentenced this week to one year and a day in prison for his role in a $105 million scheme to defraud the Department of Veterans Affairs post-9-11 GI Bill Education Benefit Program. 
The Air Force confirmed the service's former pilot training boss, Major General Philip Stewart, will face court-martial for an alleged sexual assault and other crimes. A federal judge is weighing whether to clock the removal of a memorial to Confederate soldiers at Arlington National Cemetery. And the Washington Post reported that the paramilitary force fighting the Sudanese government stormed into a major city in the heart of the African nation's grain-producing region, forcing hundreds of thousands of people to flee. And on this day in history, in 1957, Elvis Presley, the king of rock and roll, received his draft notice for the United States Army. That's it for us this morning. To get more top stories and breaking news, go to defensenews.com EVB to subscribe to the Early Bird Brief newsletter. Please give us a like, rating, and a comment wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to follow us on social media at defense underscore news and at military times. The Early Bird Brief is hosted and produced by me, Zimone Z. Perez. Today's episode featured stories by Megan Eckstein, Andrew Chutter, Rudy Rudenberg, Leo Shane III, and Noah Robertson. Our editor-in-chief is Mike Roos. Have a great day.